This is ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sustain, a community of open source enthusiasts and professionals that care about the future of open source. Learn more at sustainoss.org. On the panel today is Venia Logan. Hey, everyone. It's been a while. My name is Venia. I am a co-founder and CEO, I guess, which is a little bit weird, for sociallyconstructed.online. It's really good to be here. Welcome. And myself, Georg Blink. Hi, everyone. Georg here again. I'm a co-founder of the Chaos Project, co-lead of the governing board, active in various working groups, and your host for today. And we have a very interesting guest, Patrick Woods from Orbit today. And just to give you a little background, Patrick and I met in San Francisco after the Open Core Summit in a bar. We were talking to a mutual friend who said basically, here, you two need to talk. And that was the first time I heard about Orbit and met Patrick. And I'm super excited that we can share the story today. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you so much. I'm super glad to be here. And as many great stories, this one did begin in a bar. So it'll be fun to, to recount that and other stories along the way. So thanks so much for having me. Excited to dive in today. So maybe you can give a little bit background of who you are and what you've done in the past and what got you to where you are today. Yeah, for sure. So I'm Patrick Woods. I am co-founder and CEO of a company called Orbit's Mission Control for Your Community. So we help companies that have distributed communities understand what's going on across their constellation of different platforms to better serve their community and to understand what's going on. Orbit's based on this concept called the Orbit model, which we'll dive into today, which is essentially an open framework for measuring and assessing how communities are, are growing or contracting over time. My background is a blend of marketing and customer success before I got into the wonderful world of community. I think the, the modern story begins when my co-founder Josh and I met about five or six years ago at a company called Keen.io. Keen was a schemaless event ingestion platform with a pretty massive developer community. And that's where Josh and I really, I think for the first time, fell in love with community as an engine of value creation for both the individuals in the community in terms of education and connection and you know self-actualization, as well as for the, the parent company in terms of awareness and adoption, all those good things. And the early versions of the Orbit model were, were born at Keen with Josh and some others on the community team because they were realizing that there weren't really great models for assessing how things are going. For many companies that have communities, the question is often just like, who is in the community? What are they doing? And understanding those basics is non-trivial in many cases. Uh, so after Keen, we, Josh and I went a couple of different places. He went on to build the, the DevRel team at Algolia. And then Josh and I got the band back together, so to speak, in 2018 to do some consulting in the space, generally DevRel, Dev marketing, those sort of concepts, developer communities. And that really gave us the excuse to have, I don't know, hundreds of conversations with community builders, with DevRel people at companies large and small. 
And this is sort of like chapter two of the Orbit model, you might say. And there were several key learnings, I would say, from that time period. One, on the tooling side of things, we were surprised that so many companies just use spreadsheets to measure what's going on in the community, companies large and small. But the other sort of more fundamental challenge I think that we came across was it's one of mental models, really. And what I mean by that is that the single and sole commercial metaphor that has been around for like 100 years is the sales and marketing funnel. Believe it or not, that concept was first coined, I think, in 1896 or 1898. And you know, a lot has changed since the sort of simpler times of attention, interest, desire, action. And uh, those are sort of the four component pieces of the traditional funnel model. But the reason this is relevant is because in a world of community-led growth and bottoms-up adoption, the metaphor of the funnel we found was increasingly not useful. And so we found that the funnel as a metaphor is useful when the outcome you're measuring is either linear or binary. So think about like a, a product onboarding with four discrete steps that everyone has to go through or something like an enterprise sales motion where at the end of the process, there's either a purchase or a non-purchase. This, those are both linear and binary and a, and a funnel worldview is great because you can optimize and tweak every single step. But if you know anything about communities, they're neither linear nor binary and people come and go and the timelines are like really long in many cases. And so what we found in the consulting practice was that Pretty much every company, because they lacked other mental models or metaphors, everyone was applying funnel to community. And this led to questions like, you know, how many leads did we get from the forum last week? Or how many leads came from the meetup? Or how many deals did we close? And you, for folks from community world, you know, that's like kind of a weird or icky question, but you don't know exactly why. Just like, it doesn't feel right. And we realized that it's it comes down to mental models. And so we published the first version of the Orbit model as a blog posts, I think in almost two years ago, like early 2019, as just a way for us to say, okay, you love the sales and marketing funnel, we get it. Here's an alternative way to think about measuring community. And it's not so much based on this linear progress of like pushing everyone through this set of steps that you've created, but it's more about creating a high gravity experience that attracts people in and being able to measure that over time. So I guess we can dive into the specifics of, of the model itself, but that's how we came here. And I would say it was really born out of experiences at developer-centric companies and then having conversations with hundreds and hundreds of people in the field. And really our attempt to model from first principles how communities actually work. So we often say it's less about like creating the Orbit model and more about uncovering or discovering it and you know putting it in a public place, specifically GitHub, where others can interact with it and weigh in and, and help us tweak and refine over time. So fast forward to today, we ended up starting a company based on the ideas of the Orbit model. The company is called Orbit2, which is maybe may a little confusing in some respects, but the sort of software we're building today is premised on an Orbit model worldview. And yeah, happy to dive into to any aspect of that, but hopefully that's helpful context. Yes, thank you. Wow, you already covered a lot of ground there just in your introduction. I think we can talk a little bit more about the Orbit model. You already said it's a different mindset from what we have been doing in business for a long time with the funnel perspective for marketing and sales. And one thing that I hear about a lot is that if you have an open source efforts in your company, don't put them in marketing and sales. That's not the right place for them to begin with. So let's talk about what is the right frame of mind. So you said you uncovered the Orbit model from 
understanding how communities work. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about the foundations of the Orbit model and what it looks like in practice. So the Orbit model has a few central components. There are gravity, love, reach, and orbit level. And so these, we think, represent different aspects of a community member's journey with a community. Again, I would preface this by saying it's not perfect. And we welcome comment and contribution. The Orbit model is on GitHub, and we've had a number of pull requests and updates and requests for comment over time. So it's an evolution. And so starting from the sort of maybe the bottom of the measurement stack, if you will, love and reach are sort of the two main components we talk a lot about. Reach is an easy one. It's basically an individual's influence. This can be measured by number of Twitter followers or number of newsletter subscribers. But the idea is that you just want to know how influential is a person because when we think about gravity, which we'll talk about in a moment, it's probably self-evident, but gravity is an attractive force. And if someone's got a lot of reach, they probably have the ability to pull people in. But the second component of the orbit model is what we call love. And it's a fun word. We chose it specifically to maybe differentiate or complement terms like engagement, which are sort of fraught with maybe marketing baggage or social media measurement baggage, things like that. Love is really the recency, frequency, and quality of a person's contribution in your community. And the recency and frequency are probably fairly obvious. Like how often does this person participate and when's the last time they did a thing, basically? And then the quality is a little bit more nebulous, but it's this idea that someone, you know, retweeting your content is nice but it's fundamentally different than someone keynoting your conference. And so if you can essentially create a a manifest of activities across the community, you can start to understand the size and shape of the contribution. I guess the underlying assumption here is that one hallmark of a healthy community is one that's active. We've all shown up probably to a, a Slack quote unquote community where, you know, there's 200 people there. And like the last comment was from two weeks ago. And you're like, Somebody told me this was a community, but this is just like a ghost town. And so is it a community? Is it not? I don't know. But the kind of underlying principle of the Orbit model today is activity is the idea. And so if you know someone's reach and their love, you can start to make inferences about the attractive force of them to pull others into your orbit. Love is a metric. It's a thing you can measure (laughs) that we say. Uh, Love is measurable. So, you know, for all of you out there on the dating apps, you know, keep it in mind that you can, there's a formula for love, but the downside is love decays over time. So this is another sort of metaphor for life from the orbit model. So, you know, love is basically the way we calculated in the orbit model and the orbit product is like a sum of activity. It's a little bit weighted. So you can say, yeah, like somebody writing a guest blog post is, higher love than somebody retweeting. But time is a component as well. And this is the idea that an activity in your community or contribution today is kind of worth more than one that was done a year or two years or more years ago and says a lot more about a person's engagement, to use that term, essentially their willingness to participate more if they're more active more recently. And so what you could do with the orbit model math is basically discount activities that happened a long time ago. And so now you actually have a couple of different constituent components that you're measuring. So you can, on one hand, sort your community by like total number of activities, which is interesting. Like here's a manifest top to bottom of who's done the most stuff. But if if you start to factor in time, you can start to filter and sort your community by their relative love, which will tell you a little bit more about who's engaging more recently and more frequently. And so zooming out a, a little bit, if you understand love and reach of each community member, you can start to assess the overall health of your community and trend of love over time, which I think is kind of interesting. The orbit level is basically a four-part segmentation for 
grouping your community into to four different buckets. And this is the idea that the folks in your orbit one are your champions, your MVPs, your VIPs. You may have a formal program for these folks. And the folks out in orbit four are, we call them observers. And these are people that maybe have followed you on Twitter or subscribed to your newsletter, but they're fundamentally different than those folks that are high love and closer to the core. And so the orbit levels, you can basically we can all spare the audience the math. It's all in the repo. And there's a few different actually methods for doing this. But the theory is that if you understand someone's love, you can bucket them into different orbit levels. And the purpose of the orbit level segmentation is to basically help you as the community manager prioritize one, how to spend time with your community, but two, what offers to make to each person. Yeah, this has been absolutely amazing. So The second I saw you come across as potentially being on this podcast, I started looking into the Orbit model. And if our listeners are familiar with a little bit about my background, I spend a lot of time talking about how do you measure the unmeasurable. Love is definitely one of those things. And there's also this concept of the Orbit. And I just have to say, I love the Orbit analogy. So if you don't mind, can you go over a little bit of the other prior models that community managers have used and compare it to this orbit analogy? What makes the orbit analogy more attractive and more efficient and effective in defining the customer value journey and the community member journey of your organization? I have to suspect maybe the both of you have a lot more context on a lot more models too. So happy to make this a collaborative discussion, comparing and contrasting. I would start by saying that one thing that we think a lot about with the Orbit model and maybe have thought about since the beginning is trying to make it a tool, not just for like a conceptual discussion, but like a tool for actually acting and using it. So there's a lot of models that say like, oh, there's like, there's a progression of casual people to more engaged people. Yeah, and like the love very, relationship model. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of, I guess, sort of frameworks for, and, and I need to refine my thinking on this a bit, I think, but like discussing and categorizing and like a, a taxonomy that helps frame up a, a conceptual area maybe, but I don't know that all models are really actionable and tools for like tactical implementation. So the yeah. one thing we try to do with the Orbit model, maybe, or maybe, it, I don't know, not sure if it gets there or not, but it's like, if you start to apply these principles, you can start to actually do something about it. And if you're keeping up with the people who are high love in your community, for example, and tracking that over time, you probably start to see some trends and reach out to people who are starting to churn out of the community, or you start to notice people who are new to the community, but are doing a lot of stuff and like their love increases really quickly. And so you can think about essentially behavioral segmentation and how you deliver value to each of those segments of the community. The theory, at least, is that if you have if you have the math, you can start to make better decisions about how to engage. So that's kind of high level. I'm not sure if every model has that baked in, but that's kind of the what we strive for is to make it actionable. I absolutely agree. Kind of speaking more selfishly, when we were creating the social currency metric system, that was our biggest gripe, was that most of the prior models, specifically the Onion model and the Levenger's relationship model, they had this process of step in and step back but they didn't have this process of establishing roles over time. And when I heard about the orbit model, I immediately thought about an asteroid. You have this person who's just kind of going around the epicenter of your community, this thing of gravitational mass, and the asteroid's moving in and out. It's an oblong kind of interaction. 
and they're interacting with people all over the place. And those people have their own form of gravity. And then it's just slowly starting to move into like this planar homeostasis where they're interacting with other people. They're moving in and out between the steps of the orbit. Can you talk a little bit about how a person's interaction over time and the measurement, how that love decays can kind of tell you where they are in that path? Yeah. So I love these insights and thank you for sharing. It's always fun to go deep on these ideas with folks. And I agree that like the gravity metaphor is just, it lends itself to so many other metaphors. (laughs) I'm a metaphor fan. So yes. Uh, All right. So to answer the question, I would say a couple of things. So the specific relationship, just to be honest, the relationship between love and orbit level is something that's like constantly a thing we're riffing on and trying to perfect. I'll share a little bit about some upcoming proposed changes to the orbit model, which is kind of interesting. And so today in the orbit model, orbit level changes based on love. And so as love decays, and conceptually that the community member floats back out to, you know, from the near orbit one to orbit four, we realized kind of going back to first principles that let's just say you had a community member that was in your orbit one, you knew them very well. And then for whatever reason, over the course of a year, their love decayed to little or nothing. As soon as they re-engage, they're going to be back in your orbit one. And you're not going to say, well, you're just some random person. The reality of how you would treat them as a community builder is pretty similar. And so what we're doing is actually, we're thinking of orbit level attainment almost like as benchmarks. You're not going to drift out in your orbit level, but you the love will go down over time. And so this starts to lead to some interesting ways to slice and dice the data. For example, you could imagine a world where there's a, a segment of your community that is in orbit one. So you know that they, at some point, were one of your VIPs but their recency and frequency have gone down to nothing. So their love is very little. And so the playbook for that segment of the community, you might have a specific program built around just re-engaging those churned Orbit 1 members. And so we think about these sort of the metrics as a group and how they can tell you different things about a person's relationship to the community. You could have a person in Orbit 3 or 4 whose frequency and recency are like picking up and you're like, oh, these are like rising stars. These are people who they're brand new. What is the next step for onboarding them and providing them with resources and opportunities to do stuff in the community? It raises a few other questions, which I think are very worth exploring. But I think overall, it definitely answers that question. I feel like love is this singular wrap-up dimension for people's affiliation and their understanding of their place in a community and the fact that place can wax and wane. And I think that's like a large beauty of what the orbit model provides in relationship to a lot of other models is this idea that a person's relationship with the community does change and does develop. And that change can be seen as artifacts of their behavior and their contributions. So I really like that you have the one singular metric wrapping up a large majority of those interactions. I can't help but liken it to the social currency metric system, which kind of determines a lot of those changes as several different items, transparency, consistency, merit, et cetera. So it kind of gives you just that one number that says, hey, community manager, this is where this asteroid is in relationship to the rest of your community. Can you perform an action that will bring them a little bit closer again? I think that's wonderful. Yeah, that's a great point. And one thing, not to bring it back to the sales and marketing funnel too much, but you know, in that sort of singular worldview, the question is how do you push people through to the next step or like disqualify them out? 
one of the things we tried to provide in the orbit model is a different set of questions. And so if someone's practicing the orbit model, really the question is like, how do we increase the love and the reach of a person in the community and the community overall? And I think that leads to interesting playbooks and programs. And so, you know, there's lots of ways to increase love. You can send swag, you can say send a thank you card, you know, just very tactically. There's ways to increase a person's reach too. And that's, you know, inviting them on a podcast, featuring them on your blog. And so by breaking out the metrics into like things like love and reach and thinking about the gravity overall, I think it really reframes the conversation around how to deliver value to the community. While open source software today is powering critical infrastructure, the open source ecosystem as a whole is rapidly changing, facing challenges for governance, maintenance, maintainer burnout, funding, marketing, and more. Are you concerned about these things for your open source software too? Well, in the Sustain community, we discuss these challenges and share solutions for how to sustain open source in the long haul. We meet once per year in person, and the rest of the time we keep the fire burning in our discourse forum. Join our conversations at sustainoss.org and sustain OSS on Twitter. You know, I absolutely love what you're saying about how you're tweaking and changing the model based on the feedback that you're getting. And if I understand it right, your love metric is a person's level of engagement. So how much are they doing? And I'm thinking about in chaos terms, just counting number of commits, number of issues, number of pull requests that they're doing, a number of emails they're posting on the mailing list, number of messages they're posting on Slack, whatever that interaction is. I know this is where a lot of people start when they start their metrics journey. And it sounds like that's where the orbit model started. And you're transitioning now to another level. Is it orbit the version three? Yeah, I think it'll be three. We're going to call it three. Who knows yeah. what it is. <laughs> so orbit level three, what I'm hearing from you is you're actually considering things like a person's, what's it called? Their veteran status. Tenure, veteran status. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so you have people, when we think about the onion model, where they're coming from the periphery into the core. And as they're moving in, they are gaining more and more merit, reputation, more say in the community or from a contributor journey, you're moving in from the outside to the inside to where you're part of the core, which is usually the maintainers. And so even though your level of activity might go down, so the love metric might show that you're not doing as much, the impact that you have on the community with the few things that you do are so much more because of the types of contributions, which is another metric we have in chaos, the types of contributions. So I'm just super excited that you're tweaking the model to account for this. Yeah, it's an ongoing process. And it's it's a combination of conversations like this and feedback from folks in the community and, and also, interestingly, data from the Orbit platform too. So we're in this interesting position where we're able to apply the theory at scale, which is pretty fun. So we've got 2,500 users, I want to say, using Orbit today. And they're all practicing the Orbit model, whether they know it or not. And so it's interesting to see how the data plays out at scale and feed that back into the thinking on the philosophy side. So yeah, lots of iteration and a lot of cool updates to come, we think. Do you have some insights from those users of the Orbit model? Have you seen some 
pitfalls or maybe even success stories? So the pitfalls are probably mostly uh, on, on us and product related. So things like putting Orbit model charts into Orbit the product and people not knowing about the Orbit model. And they're like, what is love? What is gravity? Like, what do these charts mean? And just like, you know, classic, just like user experience misses. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> just like, we're like, oh, everyone that's using Orbit knows about the Orbit model too. And it turns out they, they do not. Yeah. So that's been a fun, you know, brand that's and user insane. experience. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So that's been fun. So that's an ongoing challenge, I would say, from a, like a product design standpoint is to share these insights, these ideas in a way that are familiar to people. So we've played with different degrees of granularity in the product in terms of like exposing these insights. In terms of practicing the Orbit model overall, some of the things we hear is, you know, prioritization is a big one. You know, the this reality that there will always be more community members than community managers. And what happens in most communities, I think, at least the ones we talk to, is that the folks that are community facing are often end up in a very reactive posture. And it's because people are writing in and there's people making noise and the sort of classic, this squeaky wheel gets the grease. And so many community managers are like always in this like reactive posture. And so one of the things that we have heard about the Orbit and the Orbit model is that it helps people segment and prioritize their community so they can be more proactive. And so what a lot of our users will do is have playbooks for every Orbit level and say, okay, I've got one hour today to be proactive. Is it more important for me to go deeper with people in Orbit 1, build close relationships with those folks? Or based on our overall goals and strategy, does it make more sense to reach out to some folks out in Orbit level 3 or 4 and figure out how to work with them to get them to contribute more, to engage more? And to find folks that may be sort of in that rising star segment who might want to level up their engagement. And so what we're hearing is that, you know, at the very basic level, a framework like the Orbit model helps segment and prioritize versus just looking at your community overall and saying, there's 10,000 people here. What do I do? And the de facto state often is, in that case, just you become reactive. You're like, well, who's making the most noise? How do I go put these fires out? But with a framework like the Orbit model, it helps to prioritize and you know, not just firefight, but actually elevate the people that are doing great work and make sure that they're getting their due as well. And I think that's probably another one of those pain points that other models just refuse to approach is you can have a model, you can place people into a specific stage, you can say this is where they're at, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there is an action on your end that will elicit a greater behavior. And I really like that the Orbit model actually sets up week over week benchmarks that say, you're a little low here, you're a little high here. How can you convert from high stat A to low stat B? I think that's incredible. And it kind of gives community managers direction in the data by telling that story in a way that seems more active. Yeah, totally. And what we're seeing is that it starts to facilitate really interesting conversations between community leaders, like from different communities. So now you can start to have a conversation, you know, like, what are you doing with your orbit level one? Like, like, what are your programs or how are you engaging people that are drifting away? Like you've got this cohort of people that had a lot of love six months ago, and now they're like dropping really fast. Do you have any ideas or programs or anything that's worked for your community that works to re-engage those folks? Or how do you prioritize spending your time? Are you spending most of your time on the champions or the people in orbit four? Or like, what's the distribution of like how you allocate resources for your community? So. Yeah, a big part of what we try to do is just provide 
more granular language for people to talk about these concepts versus like, I think without the vocabulary of something like the orbit model, you're just saying like, well, like what tactics you're using to like grow your community, which is like super high level. But with the sort of constituent components of the orbit model, we're finding it leads to a lot more specific discussion between folks building communities. So you're fostering conversations between community managers. Do you also foster conversations between communities and their community managers? And maybe another question I have is what kind of communities do you see the orbit model being applied to? Because in chaos, we very much talk about and care about the health of open source communities. And so we always involve the community. We have leaderboards, we have public dashboards, we report on these metrics in conference talks. And so there is always this level of transparency and dialogue that we want with the community. And so I just wanted to see how have you seen the orbit model being used in those conversations? Yeah. So I'll answer your question a couple of ways, I think. So, you know, one question you asked was what types of communities are thinking about and applying the orbit model? We were definitely born in the world of developer communities. Like that's our DNA. On the orbit product side of things, like GitHub was the first integration we shipped. So we're very much coming out of developer world. A number of reasons for that. It's a mature space. There's lots of communities with lots of data about them. So we started there and that's also kind of where we're from. What's interesting as the orbit model matures, the scope of its awareness has expanded somewhat, not like a huge amount, I would say. I don't want to overpromise here, but I think you know what we're hearing is open source communities, developer communities are kind of like the early adopters of the framework. But we're having folks come and ask us questions from someone was talking about music communities and like how to like measure your band's community. We are seeing a lot of adoption in like gaming and crypto and then sort of adjacent communities like no code, low code folks and like independent community builders. So like folks who have like paid newsletter and a Slack group and things like that, they're applying the model too. And we think that's probably a reasonable maturation of the concepts because we started with developer world, but really if you're running any community, you kind of want to know like who's in the community, what are they doing? How is it changing over time? It doesn't matter if it's a developer or you know, a band super fan, you can use these concepts and apply it. Now, the, the technological implementation of the tools will change a lot. Like, it's really easy to apply the Orbit model to a developer community today. Just plug in Orbit to your sources and like it happens magically. If you're trying to apply the Orbit model to, you know, your local sourdough baking community, it's going to be a little more manual, I would say. But the concepts, I think, abstract across any group of people that's trying to understand how things are going with this group in the most abstract. Yeah. I think that really is a testament to exactly how applicable the Orbit model is in relationship to other models. Because as we were talking about the Orbit model, I immediately thought of a client that I just signed on, which is for photographer elopement companies. (laughs) And you start to wonder if you're a elopement photographer and you're trying to keep this community going of all of these wonderful couples, shared albums, that seems like it should be a very transactional experience. But in all actuality, there's this community of couples who all want like an alternative version of marriage. That's the furthest you can get from an open source community. And the Orbit model would still be applicable and I would still recommend it to those photographers. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, Thanks for sharing that vignette. I not sure I'd heard of elopement photography before today. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's and, and what we're seeing and, and kind of what we think about is 
you can sort of choose your own adventure with regard to how deep you go on the orbit model. You know, some folks, if we did a request for comment in the fall and some of our community members went pretty deep, pulling apart the math and questioning why we use an exponent versus something else. And like, if you want to do that, you know, come on, let's have that conversation. But for a lot of people, like the, the just the idea of, of a solar system with gravity versus like a linear transactional funnel, just that idea is an interesting way to reframe it. They're like, oh yeah, like if you're doing community well, you're going to attract people in. And I, I get how it looks over time. And so, yeah, we try to think about like the different layers of applicability. So that's a, uh, yeah, totally. I agree with that. Totally. So bringing back a question that we have in the chaos project, when we started the chaos project, we started with the question of what is community health and how can we use metrics to understand the health of our open source communities? And so if I were to take the orbit model, what my understanding is, I'm getting a view of what the people in the community are doing. And then I can see how dense the different orbit layers are with people. And so the answer to how healthy is my community is really how many people do I have in the different layers? And is it a healthy relationship? Is that the right way of using the orbit model to not just do what you said earlier with having playbooks on how to engage different groups within the community, but also to get a sense of the overall health? Or is there another way to look at it? So I would say that the notion of health is one, I'm not sure we use that term a lot in like the language around the orbit model, because you know, there's a lot rolled up into the concept of community health and we don't want to overpromise. So for example, what you probably have noticed is that the orbit model is very, it's very quantitative about stuff that people are doing. It's qualitative in the sense that you might want to weight certain behaviors over others. It's a little qualitative, quantitative combination, I would guess, but it's really a count. Like it's a manifest of what's going on, who's doing what and where, how frequently, all these things. We think that's very useful. But it doesn't account for things like the relationship between people, toxicity, things like that. And so one sort of failure case of the orbit model is the case where someone is sending a lot of messages in your forum that are bad, that are you know toxic or negative for some reason. The orbit model doesn't know. It's like somebody sending messages, that's an activity. I'm going to count it. I'm the orbit model. And that's what I do is I count things. So that's sort of a weakness of the model today is so health as a concept, we don't talk a lot about that as a high level concept because the orbit model, it doesn't know that. It just knows that people are doing stuff and that you've weighted them a certain way. So some of the things we're excited about in the future is introducing things like machine learning or just some simple, you know, heuristics to measure things like sentiment, you know, of these conversations. So somebody's saying a lot of stuff in your forum, but they're flaming you. So like, let's do something about it. That sounds very much like the, what we have in the social listening metric, which Vinya helped uh, craft, I, I think episode number two, we dive into the details of it. So maybe in the future, there are some collaboration points here. Yeah, yeah for sure. To more qualitative understanding what are all the activities in the community actually mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I won't say too much about that, but it definitely sounds like a powerful collaborative opportunity there. But Love it. So Patrick, I know you've talked about starting with the Orbit model and then building a product around it. And I know you have a company and I heard you have some initial funding. So 
How has that been going and where's the future of Orbit? Orbit, the company has been around for about 18 months. We, as mentioned, built it to implement Orbit model concepts at scale, but also to help companies answer the sort of fundamental question that we saw in the consulting practice, which was like, I've got all these people out there in the community, but I have no idea what's working and what's not. You know, I can't tell what's working. So, you know, we think about it as a mission control for your community. So plug in any of your data sources, like your forums, your chat, your event platforms, even your product analytics, if you'd like, and get that single timeline view of at the individual level, how someone's moving in and out of your community and your product, and then the ability to zoom out and see metrics at a high level. Baked into that is a lot of, of insights around, you know, here are rising stars, here are people that are churning. Some of that stuff we were talking about with the orbit model using the combination of orbit level and recency and frequency and quality to have these behavioral segments such that your team can then act on that data and implement those playbooks. We have some pretty cool stuff around webhooks and the API too. So you can basically say, it's almost like if this, then that for your community. So if someone asks a question in the forum and they have the tag VIP, send me a DM in Slack or fire a webhook over to HubSpot to update their record of the CRM, things like that. So pretty fun stuff. So company's been around for yeah a year and a half. We've raised money from Harrison Metal and HeavyBit who did our pre-seed. Martin Casado and Andreessen Horowitz led our seed around in the fall. And then we recently announced our Series A led by CodeTube. A woman named Karen Maroney is, is the lead there. So we've been very fortunate to raise a fair amount of capital to really help create this space and really you know, empower the next generation of community builders with tools and data so they can make better decisions and start moving from a very intuitive approach to community building to one that's very strategic and very proactive. So the team's approaching 20 people today, you know, mostly in the US and Europe, as well as Tel Aviv. And, you know, as of, of this recording, we're pushing 3000 users, maybe a little north of that across, you know, a few thousand communities. And our users are tracking millions and millions of users uh, who have completed something like 25 million activities across their whole community. So all that anonymized data is pretty interesting, as you can imagine, to feed back into the Orbit model and take those insights and apply it back to this the open framework. So it's a pretty interesting place for us to sort of see the confluence of communities and tools and data and, and insights and reports and all these things that are happening. So pretty exciting time. Congratulations on that funding and being able to build this out and really scale it up. That's super exciting. Agreed. Yeah. Thank you very much. So I know if people want to follow you, I already know that you have an amazing newsletter that has very actionable insights that you're sharing regularly. You also have a podcast. What are all the ways for people who want to stay in touch with Orbit and you specifically to reach out to you? Yeah. Thanks for asking. The podcast is called Developer Love and it's conversations with people who are building developer communities. You can Google Developer Love Podcasts and you'll probably find it. But the resources section of our website orbit.love will have links to the podcast and links to the newsletter as well. The newsletter is curated by Rosie Sherry, who's an amazing community builder. And she does a weekly or fairly weekly roundup of insights from the community world, but also original content that she just cranks out because she's incredible. So yeah, orbit.love is our website. We love the, the .love TLD. It's a fun one. And you can find me on Twitter at Patrick J. Woods, all one word. So yeah, if you have questions about Orbit or the Orbit model or have any ideas, feel free to ping me directly on Twitter. I'd love to keep the conversation going there. Yeah, we'll add everything to the show notes as well. And that brings us to the last segment of every Chaos Cast episode, the value ads, where we talk about something that has brought value, joy, or meaning to our life. 
I'd like to go ahead and start off if you don't mind. I recently came into like some changes happening in my career and my personal life and stuff like that. And one of the things that really kept me grounded was we uh, have this technical group book club that we like to explore. And we came across this incredibly old, but really wonderful book. I believe it was called The Wizard of Ads. And it actually looks like a fairy tale book. And it just comes with a variety of different case studies that talk about how advertising has grown from the beginning of ads all the way to the end. And it actually ends with some like really prophetic ad campaigns. They specifically target around community and what it really means to have someone collecting around your brand. I definitely recommend the book. I'll toss it in the show notes below. I love that. So the first part of my career, I was actually in advertising. So I I read that book a long time ago. I need to revisit it with this fresh lens. I spent a lot of time doing brand strategy and storytelling and things like that. So pretty fun skills for community world, for sure but a strong wreck on that book. I guess I can continue this. Since you mentioned books, this reminded me of of one that we recently read at Orbit. There's a book called The Culture Map. And it's by this woman named Erin Meyer, who's a researcher in cross-cultural business contexts. And she basically breaks down something like 10 or or 12 sort of spectra or spectrums and plots different cultures on the scale. So one is like type of feedback. Is it direct or indirect? Or is it like communication style? And you know, sense of time even, you know, are are you punctual all the time or is time more of a fluid concept? And she has all this research to say like different cultures have different self-perceptions and expectations of on these different scales. And so at Orbit, we've got people in in San Francisco, the UK, all over France, Tel Aviv, and other places. And so it's pretty, pretty useful for us to have this shared understanding of the way people react and act towards each other. And so it's been pretty fun to reflect on one's own culture in the context of this information, but also to just talk about it with each other and say like, hey, I'm an American. I over-explain things. So for the folks in the UK who are very subtle, I'm sorry. It's not because I think you're dumb. It's because in America, we just we, we share a lot of context. Please don't be offended. <laughs> and there's lots of fun examples like that, how we've you know learned to interact with each other better. So strong recommend for the book, The Culture Map. It's awesome. Yeah, a friend of mine gave me the book. It's on my shelf and to-do read list. And to keep the the book club here going, I want to highlight your local library as something that is really valuable as a resource. I went there the other day and just was browsing around. I came across an interesting book that I don't think I would have found otherwise. It's called Angronomics, where they're talking about the current economic system and how that has given rise to what we are seeing in politics as well. And I'm about halfway through, so I can't really say much about the solutions that they're going to offer. But it's really interesting because they are revisiting some of the foundations and assumptions that we as society have made in shaping the economy and the political system that we live in right now. And I really enjoyed this book, Angronomics, by Eric Lonergan and Mark Blith. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Patrick, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking with you and seeing you again after so long. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks for the, the amazing questions. It always helps us refine the thinking. And you know, as mentioned, the Orbit model is, is on GitHub. It's ready for comment. So feel free to, to add questions and feedback there as well. Yeah. We'll have a link in the show notes for sure. Thank you, Vinya, for coming on as a panelist today. 
Absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you, dear listener, for joining us today. To stay up to date on future episodes, subscribe for free to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Share this episode with your friends and colleagues. If you have ideas for future episode topics or would even like to come on as a guest, please email us podcast at chaos.community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, your chaos community. <laughs>